I'm about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker. That is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And greetings. Happy Tuesday here on the Steve Dace Show podcast for Westwood One, powered by CRTV. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here as well. Now, normally this would be our Pop Culture Tuesday. We take a look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. We're going to table that, though, this week. Because something I thought could happen in the pro-life movement has actually occurred just not from the direction that I anticipated that it might. And it has created a rather unique debate, and one long overdue and necessary, within the pro-life community. And of course, because Iowa seems to be a political epicenter for a lot of these skirmishes, uh, we have a front row seat to this, and we're going to talk about it with a couple of the troublemakers that are responsible for what's going on, You'll get a chance to meet them here in a little bit. Trust me, if you are a pro-lifer, we know most of you in our audience are, you're going to want to listen to this conversation coming up in just a few minutes on the podcast. But first, Todd and Aaron, we just we just wrapped up production for the CRTV television show. Let's give the audience a preview of what is to come. Todd, I'll start with you. Well, several things really quick. I learned uh, that, uh, to no one's surprise, Hillary Clinton is still terrible. I learned that... Chris- she won't. I want, I want to stop having to say that. She won't go away, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm tired of talking about get off my lawn grandma. She won't exit. The, 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 the lack of self-awareness, the lack of freaking just dignity... Move on with life. You know, I, I want to stop. I hate the click, the Hillary Clinton clickbait. She just keeps churning out the content. What yes, are you supposed well, to do? Well, and, and the minute she and others like her do go away, then the one who is dumbest last loses won't apply anymore. But until then, rack it up. I also learned that Chris Pratt is awesome. And I learned finally, to quote the Babylon Bee, that now all of Earth's problems are solved. Donald Trump is going to colonize space. <laughs> you learned a lot. I did. This is a good show. Aaron, what'd you learn? Yeah, or what do you want to teach? What do you want to teach? That um, th- that this this battle between the Rainbow Jihad and the rest of America, it was specifically Christians and the Church who actually hold to a a biblical understanding of the sexual ethic. Uh, this is a zero-sum game. I was reminded about that. Uh, this with e- e- Emily Gao from the Heritage Foundation talking about the next frontier in the Rainbow Jihad's war on Christianity in the United States. Um, we are fast approaching a time. We might be there already. In fact, you ask a person like Baronel Stutzman or um, Jack Phillips or Aaron and Melissa Klein, we are at a place in some pockets of the country where we are in a fight or flight mentality as Christians right now. And it is, I mean, every every day is uh, seems to be zero hour for the battle for religious liberty. You're right. And what's ironic is it's not coming from the church here. The church is trying to compromise 
on you guys, these issues routinely. Was, they won't. They won't I take was, yes for an answer. Man, I was just. I was just watching or uh, looking into researching. You guys heard of this Revoice conference in St. Louis? Uh, it is apparently hosted by uh, the Center for Biblical uh, Sexual. Uh, morality or something like that hmm. which has a great statement of faith and a great uh, ethic on on um on on gender and statement of faith on gender affirming biblical truth so anyway it's put on by this organization which is, seems to be really solid and this entire conference is just basically um affirming everything the rainbow yep. jihad has been trying to codify wasn't there a poll yesterday 20 percent of people who identify as lgbt also identify as christian um the church would happily if, if you just, if the rainbow jihad just literally said, you guys can go over there and believe whatever you want. <laughs> they would, the church is at a point where they would let you teach their children anything. They'd let you put anything in movies you wanted, anything in the curriculum you wanted. They would compromise. If The, the church does not want to have this confrontation that it was put on the earth for. It, 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 it is trying to run away. This is not Jonah going to Nineveh, guys. Nineveh is chasing Jonah. Like, Nineveh keeps following Jonah around. Jonah's like, dude, I tapped out of this long time ago. Leave me, leave me alone. I'm out. Nineveh's like, no, 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 no. We're not done here yet. Jonah's like, I, I, I never, I'm not interested. I, I, didn't, I didn't even show up. I'm not here. I'm out of here. I'm doing something else now. Nineveh keeps going to Jonah. That's the irony of all of this. It's, it's the other way around. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the church would literally almost endorse anything if you just left them, told them they could still pretend to believe it what they claim to believe over here. It is. Yeah. Yes. That leads us to the conversation that's going to be the meat of, of today's podcast. So as promised, it, it, there's always interesting political developments here in my home state of Iowa. Uh, as many of you know, uh, about a month ago, our state launched what I think is a very flawed piece of legislation, and I explained why in the podcast we did about it at the time. But I also said because of the premise it asserts, albeit far from perfectly, the premise it asserts, it has a chance— to be really the first substantive offensive against Roe that has been launched really by the pro-life movement since Casey, which was a quarter century ago, because it actually attempts to assert at a statute level what is life, what signifies life. Most of, and when I say most, I mean like 99.5% of of pro-life legislation since Casey has been an attempt to regulate abortion, not an attempt to countermand the practice by saying we don't extinguish life in America, at least we shouldn't. And this premise has been at the heart of a lot of the conversations we've had on the pro-life issue on this podcast over the years. Well, a new development has emerged here today in our home state on this piece of legislation. The parts of the legislation I was very troubled by, uh, 
which was not really the original piece of legislation a consortium of pro-life leaders put forth here at the start of the legislative session. That was actually the right legislation. And then what happened is the Republican Party, as it's prone to do uh, all over America, our state's no different, uh, right when you think you're about to win and do something uh, that you set out to do as a conservative, they come to you at the last second and they say, well, we don't have enough Republican votes to do this at the last minute. So we have to water it down to the point that your own premise might be contradicted by what we're going to pass. But it'll give us a win. You'll get something and everybody's happy and we get our photo op and we're done here. All right. So that's exactly what happened here as well. And if you'll recall the podcast we did about Iowa's heartbeat bill. After it passed, after it was signed into law by our governor, Kim Reynolds, I made the point on this podcast at that time that if I were a pro-abort judge, I would take a look at this legislation, and you brought this into my courtroom to be reviewed. I would take a look at this legislation and throw it out. I said this on our podcast at the time because the legislation contradicts its own premise. The statute says, a heartbeat signifies life. So don't extinguish it. True. And then it says, except when it doesn't. Right? If I were a pro-abort judge, I would look at that and say, why are you asking me to consider your point when you haven't fully considered it? Right? Now, I also, though, said at the time, I don't know if the other side's viewpoint and worldview is sophisticated and developed enough for them to practice that level of 4D chess. So even though I would do it if I were them, I wasn't necessarily confident that one of them would be smart enough to think along those lines. And I was right, because we're going to have this debate, but it's not going to come from the pro-abort side. It's going to come from the pro-life side. We had a press conference in our home state today where a friend of mine is has decided to go into court and make the very point that I thought we might see a pro-abort judge make, but from the pro-life side. And she's with me here today, Rebecca Kiesling from Save the One. Rebecca, good to see you. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice to see you. So did I set that up okay? I set it up okay? Sure. Okay. A la uh, Steve Days. Well, you're the attorney here, right? <laughs> and so I want to make sure um, we're okay with the setup before we get into the specific question. So you're sure. okay with how I set it up. So you had a press conference today to announce that you're going to involve your organization in Iowa's uh, what's now a legal battle in state court because Planned Parenthood filed their objection in state court because they recognize we're attempting to create a precedent at the federal level. They recognize that because, you know, we're not inventing a new tactic. This is their tactic. We're trying to use it against them. They recognize that. So they're like, well, we want to keep it on the state level for now, make it very parochial. So you, you're going to come in and, and join this lawsuit as a third party on what grounds? Uh, first of all, we're asking to intervene as an association of people, kind of like the idea of the NAACP, you Mm -hmm. know, they represent their people group, and we represent a people group of the so-called hard cases in the abortion debate, but how would you like to be called the hard case, you know? It's really uh, the politicians who make the exceptions, People conceived in rape, incest, but this bill, fetal go, yeah, this bill goes beyond them. I mean, this bill yeah. goes full Malthusian. It's fetal abnormality. Um, so and miscarriage. And mis- yeah. which, which, how can you be miscarrying if there's a fetal heartbeat? I, I don't. That doesn't make any sense. It to me. doesn't. That's yeah. the third prong. Because here's 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 the issue. Regardless of whether you agree with Rebecca's tactic that she's going to describe here in a moment or not, 
This is a, a point of contention, not in dispute. This is meaningful legislation that was written at best incongruent and inconsistently because its intention was to cover the backsides of a few squishy Republicans in our legislature who didn't want to vote to defend, as you called them, Rebecca, or they call them the hard cases. They didn't, they didn't want to defend children conceived in rape incest in, in an election year. And so they didn't have the votes to pass a clean bill. And so it was written in this clumsy fashion in order to get the amount of votes we needed for it to pass, which was those legislators. That's not your opinion. I live here. I'm the chair of a pro-life organization, one of the ones that was on the Hill lobbying for this or this legislation for the last six months. So this is the perspective for me as a guy that's been here on the ground yeah. watching this happen. But, that's the why we're even having this conversation. But today. you know, we don't have rape exceptions in Michigan. It's never necessary. Do you know why? Because Right to Life of Michigan won't endorse rape exception candidates. Mm. You only have rape exceptions because you have rape exception politicians who get supported by rape exception organizations and vote. Or I shouldn't say rape exception. I mean by organizations are willing to endorse them. I don't even know who these, you know, legislators were in the state who demanded the exceptions. Nobody's shared that information. Um, this was all done sort of in back rooms. I mm-hmm. mean, we weren't brought in to lobby. You know, we didn't get to testify before the House. That never happened. I have no idea who these people are. So to suggest that it had to happen, that you didn't have the votes, oh, what we're going to, you know, I don't buy that. You know, you got to change your strategy. You're going to keep having the same problems. Uh, I, You're preaching you know, to the choir. Yeah, well yeah. And, you know, yeah. Georgia changed their, their strategy mm-hmm. and they went from the worst in the nation to one of the best in the nation. And really, you know, people, people have said to me, oh, you think Michigan's better? Well, we passed the fetal heartbeat bill. Do you have a fetal heartbeat bill in, in Michigan? We have better. We still have our abortion ban on the books with no exceptions. You know, we do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, beat that. You know, we have a complete abortion ban that was never repealed and it has no exceptions. So when Roe versus Wayne gets overturned, um, you know, Michigan's going to have a total ban on abortion. I think that's something a lot of people don't understand is even if you got Roe v. Wade overturned, it would, it would be a little bit like D-Day, meaning that that's a momentous day where the tide is turned in the war, but the war didn't end on June 7th, 1944. I mean, um, you know, the Japanese didn't surrender for another, what, uh, 13 months, 15 months. The Germans didn't surrender for another uh, nine or 10 months. So there were, there were cleanup operations, and there's mm-hmm. going to be more battles along that line, but that's a separate podcast. Yeah. We'll table that for now. This particular issue, with Iowa's fetal heartbeat bill, you are intervening on on the grounds as an association of the hard cases, mm-hmm. people that are conceived in those exceptions that the bill seeks to put in mm-hmm. to statute and, and into law. Who better to defend their lives than those of us who are your, those tell exceptions? Us your, your life story for our audience because you haven't been on our show in a while. Rem, okay. Remind them who you are. I was conceived in rape. My birth mother was abducted at knife point by a serial rapist. She tried to kill me at two illegal abortions and backed out because it was illegal. Because I was protected by the law. Mm. I owe my birth to the law that protected me. Mm. And so I'm going to use my you know, talents and my story, my life, my legal expertise to defend others. What is the good of being a pro-life attorney if I can't defend my own right to life. And, and so today you're you're an attorney. Mm-hmm. You're a wife. You're a mom with daughters. Yeah, I have five children. And all of those things would not have happened 
without the law that said you had a right to live. It was wrong to kill you. Right. And the way that the legislature went about it here in Iowa is so horrific because they didn't say except in cases of rape. They said except in cases of medical necessity. And if and they defined medical necessity as rape and like it was medically necessary for my mother to kill me. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Like how it's it's so horrible. And it's it's dehumanizing. It's demoralizing. And we're not going to stand for it. I have a voice. We're going to fight back. This is going to be a game changer. And I, I hope that every legislator nationwide will be on notice that we're not going to roll over and play dead. So the legis- the lawsuit that you're filing in our state today says what? It says um, if there's a heartbeat detected, you know, it's the slogan is that child is protected, um, except in cases of medical necessity. Well, I'm sure and, Planned Parenthood would tell you they've never done an abortion, by the way. That wasn't a medical necessity. I'm sure they would tell you that. Well, you know, they defined, They said rape, as long as it's reported within 45 days, incest within 140 days. Well, guess who it has to be reported to? You can report it to law enforcement or to the doctor. Mm-hmm. The abortion doctor. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is literally walk in and say the secret password, rape, wink, wink, and you get your abortion. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's terrible. It's 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 a gaping loophole, just like how Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey was told to say she was raped by her lawyers, that it would make her case stronger. They're just going to tell women, just say the secret password, say rape, you get your abortion. So your lawsuit, your, if I understand this right, your lawsuit is essentially... Asking the legislation to fulfill its own premise, basically. Yeah, we want that those provisions severed. And thank goodness they had the foresight to have a severability clause. And so it can be severed. It's interesting. The Supreme Court actually addressed this in Roe versus Wade in footnote 54. Uh, in a discussion of personhood, they pointed out the fact that Texas had some exceptions and exemptions, and they said that undermined the state's whole argument. Um, but in this case, there's a severability clause. And so we just want the offending provision severed. So those were the first two prongs were rape and incest. The third prong is in cases of miscarriage, if the you know all the contents have not been miscarried or whatever the parts well how could there be a miscarriage you, th- we're talking about fetal heartbeat right that's not a miscarriage it's impossible to have a miscarriage in those cases um and so they're totally going against medical science it's ridiculous uh and then the fourth prong see is, though the, that's why it's important for our audience to understand this legislation was written to provide political cover it was because politicians it, face mm-hmm. questions from pro aborts like this like about you know well you want to put women with miscarriages in prison which is a it, it, it it's it's like you know it takes three lines of defense to point out the argument is a scam but that's beyond the reach of most yeah. of your quote unquote pro life right it wasn't today. that they that it was politically i mean it wasn't that it was medically necessary they felt it was politically necessary yeah, that's and right. that's the honest yeah. you know, <laughs> um and they're going to use rape victims when they think it's politically necessary and suggest that uh, they that it was medically necessary for them to kill their children. That's ridiculous. So the legal process will work itself out how after what you're about to do? What's going to happen Well, next? let me explain the, the fourth. Okay. Because a lot of people don't know this. Um, the fetal abnormalities, if it's incompatible with life, guess who gets to make that assessment of incompatible with life? The abortion doctor, the attending physician, i.e. the abortion doctor. Mm-hmm. If they say... In, 
fetal abnormality incompatible with life, that's it. You get an abortion. You, you sound skeptical of trusting the goodwill <laughs> of someone who kills children for a living and their conscience is so seared it doesn't bother them. You, why are you so jaded? I, I, why are these legislators so trusting of them? It's insane. You know, you're going to let the wolf do the gardening? Are you kidding me? Um, it's it's horribly written. It really is. And um, how could be? By the way, how can you be incompatible with life when you have a heartbeat? I don't know because the legislation says whenever there is a heartbeat, there is life. So what you and I are having here, um, and Aaron and Todd could verify this. What you and I are having here are a a, a more genteel and polite version of the conversations I was having with others in person and on the phone uh, the last few days as this legislation was was making its final way through our state legislature. Uh-huh. Uh, those conversations were not this genteel. Uh-huh. They were not this polite. Uh, they were far more heated, and there might have even been some colorful language involved oh, in some oh, of those yeah, conversations. Yeah. We, but we th- were... but, but this, is, this is the gist of it. How can we make an argument that a heartbeat indicates life yeah. and then say, but it doesn't? It do- that the argument in and of itself seemed to me nonsensical, but that's what was required to get really the five to six last few votes that we needed in order to get mm-hmm. this bill on the governor's desk. I just, I, out of this whole lawsuit, first of all, I'm hoping that I can explain to legislators that my heart beats too. I'm not such a freaking mutant having been conceived in rape that I'm incapable of having a heartbeat. Well, we brought you here a couple of years ago. You've met a lot of these legislators here in Iowa. I have. You've spoken to them. Right? Yeah, but um, a lot of them were senators, and I changed the hearts of many. Mm-hmm. There were several that day. Remember mm-hmm. we did the breakfast yep. uh, legislator training? It was standing room only. We had triple the numbers at the luncheon. They brought their colleagues back, and they said that um, they understood uh, morally, they, un- they understood the position, but they just felt it was politically indefensible. And they said after hearing me speak, they could see how they could defend this issue. Um, but there were still others that I never had the opportunity to speak with. I didn't get to lobby and talk to them. So, you know, maybe things would have changed if I would have been brought in. And maybe if they knew that they would lose all endorsements, you know, they wouldn't have been playing hardball on this. You brought with you a guest to Iowa who's another one of those hard luck cases. Introduce our audience to who's sitting to my right. Okay. Jennifer Christie is a viral sensation. <laughs> um, you know, the good kind of viral, right? I mean, she, you know, she's she's not spreading germs or anything like that. Yeah, but uh, her story went viral. Raped on a business trip. My husband and I chose life. Um, over a million shares to Facebook just from pro life news. Mm-hmm. You know, not a million reads, a million shares mm-hmm. to Facebook. Mm-hmm. And then when she testified on this bill. When I was in Mexico and unable to make it, she came out and she testified um, three minutes and that three minute testimony had over two million views and was covered all over the place. Uh, There was national news coverage of her testimony. Glenn Beck and the Blaze. Yeah. But then when she heard that these exceptions were added, um, we both did videos on Facebook uh, that day, that evening. And and we had some colorful conversations between the two of us. You know, um, yeah, it, I mean, she she can tell you how she felt in that moment. But Jennifer, what is it like to share 
one of the most devastating and intimate tragedies that can happen to a human being. And to share it transparently with the public, to share it transparently with lawmakers, have them look you in the eye and... And take photos. Yeah, take take photos photos and and affirm the humanity of your story. We were... And then just turn around when the the heat is now on them and act as if and behave as if none of that ever happened and they never met you and your story is not real. What's that like? Yeah, Rebecca and I were talking about that earlier. Um, <laughs> when when we were testifying, they had people who, they kind of staggered us, you know, so they would have, you know, someone for the bill and then anti. And so I was, you know, sandwiched between, um, I think the CEO of Planned Parenthood Iowa and someone else. And um, I was looking around the table and there were people who were nodding at the woman before me and yes we don't want to go back to the days of back alley abortions and they were obviously very supportive Mm -hmm. and when I spoke you know they weren't nodding but I looked around the room and a lot of them had tears in their eyes Mm -hmm. so clearly they were affected and as everything was wrapping up and they were coming out even the ones who were obviously supporting Planned Parenthood and on that side they were coming up to me and they said that was really powerful thank you for sharing and I took pictures with a lot of a lot of people and they just said that was really it was really moving and you know your son what a, what a gift and what a wonderful thing he is and how how great that you brought him into the world and all of this and you know they were saying now is the time now is the time when you know the the temperature of our country you know we're ready for this and we're ready to you know to support all life and and we got the call that um, from some of our friends here that they had added the rape exception and there was such a feeling of betrayal mm. and that's really that was the most overwhelming feeling and I felt so angry and especially when we put it out on social media on our pro-life speaker pages and on save the one when we just said this isn't this isn't okay so many people were celebrating and said this is not this is not something to celebrate mm. you know to say that you know, well, it's it's most babies, so isn't that isn't that good enough? And we were saying it it's it's not <laughs> to say that you know, well, just just be quiet because they were angry with us. A lot of people were really critical, saying you know how how dare you, how dare you when so many people have worked hard to make this progress. At least it's a progress. At least it's a step. So how dare you criticize that? And so we got a lot of pushback from that and. They were basically telling us, you know, how dare you speak up for your right to life? How dare you speak up for your son? And it was very, it was very interesting to, to see that. And like Rebecca was speaking with legislators and I, you know, they looked me in the eye and we took pictures and I, and so we were, we're used when they want us to be there and they're encouraging our story and they're saying how special we are and until we're inconvenient. Yeah, if we're if we're a nice, uplifting pro life story, God bless you. That's you great. actually want to defend your life. Whoa. Yeah. Stop Whoa. talking. You're being very I, discouraging. You're, yeah. You know? You're a Debbie. You're downer. a Debbie Downer. That's what someone called us. You're a Debbie Downer. Get off my page. Yeah. But if we're at the March for Life, holding our signs, you know, mother from rape, conceived in rape, we're getting flowers. Oh, God and it's bless beautiful. you. And God bless you for doing what you do. Oh, but your child can be sacrificed for the good of many. And it's just, it's so inconsistent. Which ironically is the utilitarian Planned Parenthood argument. Exactly, exactly. So I I always say that I feel like this is the Harlem Globetrotters. 
and we are the Washington Senators. And our players... Oh, yeah, why did I say that? You know what? I said it right earlier. My audience will correct you because I have used this exact analogy 10,000 times. I said it earlier. I said it right earlier. And we're the Washington Generals. We're set up to lose. Yeah, our player can get thrown to the ground and we're not allowed to cry foul. Mm -hmm. And if we cry foul, then we're the one who's going to get penalized by the referees. You know, who are oftentimes nationally, they're the they're pro-life leaders. You know, how dare you cry foul? Don't you get it? Yeah. Don't you know your role? You're right. here to help make the Globetrotters look good. That's it. You're not allowed to complain. You're not allowed to, to, really, yeah. to really defend your life. Now roll really, over and play dead. Right. And when we want you again, we'll call you. Yeah. And, it's, and it, we have to ask, okay, do we want to be popular? Because, I mean, her story is popular. Two million views of her testimony. Do we want to be popular or do we want to be protected? Mm-hmm. And we want to be protected. Mm-hmm. So how are you going about following through on what you just said? Walk our audience through. What's this look like legally? What should they expect to see uh, on, on their pro-life websites, news publications they follow for okay. pro-life stories. How's this How's this story going to develop in the time coming forward now? So first of all, we filed a third-party motion to intervene as a plaintiff. And we're an intervener of right, not discretionary, because Planned Parenthood, the current plaintiff, is not going to argue our interests clearly, right? right? Um, we want the offending provision severed. We want the heartbeat bill upheld. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but we want the offending provisions severed. Uh, it's discriminatory, dehumanizing, demoralizing, and violates equal protection. There's no severed, due process. So for, uh, folks in the audience don't understand what, what you mean. Essentially, a judge, because there's a severability clause in the statute, yeah. could exercise almost like a line item veto of this particular exactly. portion of the legislation, right? Yeah. yeah. And say, yeah, that violates equal protection. And we want equal protection. And what's interesting is like our people group is not considered to be a protected class, like race, gender, religion, Mm -hmm. right? But disabled children are. And so they should be entitled to strict scrutiny for that fourth prong, the fetal abnormalities. These are disabled children. Um, And you you can call them useless eaters like the Nazis did or life not worth living. Um, It's it's essentially the same thing, incompatible with life. It's it's the same kind of prejudice against disabled children, but they're just trying to get rid of them in the womb. So some in our audience are listening to this and like, why would any pro-life groups be upset at what you're doing? They put a severability clause in the statute. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't have to do that. They yeah. included that for a reason. You're, in a way, almost doing them a favor. You're letting yeah. the politicians off of the hook from having to say, I voted for no exceptions. You're kind of well, I taking hope advantage not, of that. I hope they're not upset with what we're doing. I mean, these were our friends. I hope they're not upset. I hope there's... Yeah, I hope there's nobody who's upset. They shouldn't be. I hope that they I hope that they would understand and I think if it especially since it's coming from us where it's obviously very personal mm-hmm. that they would that they would understand how how it affects us and how it would make us feel for someone to say that Rebecca come on take one for the team. I mean it's it's at least something and it's a step and try not to be offended that we're saying that you know your life is not quite why would you, why, why would they why would you guys have to take one for the team is the argument that you are strengthening the, the a judge's reasoning why he may throw this legislation out is that the argument because no, I, I, I would think if you're a pro-abort judge 
you, they have shown they don't need any reasons. They'll I just think, create their own. They'll I think it them. might have to do more with what the governor's going to do. Because there's a governor's council that's going to have to decide what to do. I mean, they could admit, yeah, this violates equal protection and done. Because right, our state constitution has equal protection under the law, just yeah. like the 14th Amendment. The yeah, and due has. process as well. There's yeah. no due process at all here. Right. None, right? And the U.S. Supreme Court said that rapists don't deserve the death penalty, that it's cruel and unusual punishment, However, even for child molesters in a second case. You know, so how does the innocent child deserve the death penalty? Um, but they have no, so so the, the disabled child is entitled to strict scrutiny, right? But we are not a protected, protected class, children conceived in rape, but still the government has to show a rational basis. They're not going to be able to do that. There's no legislative record of any physician who testified mm-hmm. that it was medically necessary. Medically necessary. Mm-hmm. Julie, before we let you go, tell us about your son today. The one that the one that many people think should have been executed for the crimes of Jennifer. his father. Jennifer. Jennifer. Or Jennifer, I'm sorry. Jennifer. Um, that's all right. Um, my son is three. He is the much youngest. I have five children, mm-hmm. and the oldest is almost 21, and they're 18, and they go down from there. And he was obviously a bit of a surprise. I'm married, and um, my husband was uh, wonderful in accepting the child, and he's he's one of the family. And I do speak about this um, internationally, but at home, He's just a sibling. He's just our son. It's it's really a non-issue. He's wonderful and warm, and throws an occasional temper tantrum. And he's just he's just a beautiful child. He's, a three-year-old boy. he's just a three-year-old boy. Yeah. And everyone who likes to say, you know, he's going to grow up to be a rapist. He's going to grow. It's it's ridiculous and it's offensive and it's painful. He's she, just a beautiful child. She contacted me during her pregnancy, and she was under tremendous pressure to abort. Mm. It was horrible the way people have treated her. And so she reached out so she wouldn't be alone. Mm. And Rebecca immediately put me in touch with other mothers from rape um, who had walked the path that I was getting ready to travel. And immediately there's this there's this bond and it was absolutely invaluable to be able to connect. But she talked about like how you couldn't protect yourself. Like. Yeah, and that's that's the worst feeling is that you the whole world is different after you've been attacked in such a way and you feel very alone and you feel like maybe you should have done more and the fact is that when you find out you're pregnant, you recognize, okay, well, I couldn't protect myself at that moment. There was nothing I could do, but here's a new life. You know, here's an innocent life and I can protect him or her. This I can do. And through that experience, it's, it's, it's a beautiful healing process. She's and mama bear. That's why she's here. She's going to protect his life. I'm going to defend his life as long as I you know, have breath in my lungs. What's, what kind of timetable should our audience expect to find a, a resolution to any of this, do you think? The other parties have 10 days okay. to file a response. And, and so um, the concern is putting the governor... In, the, in a box. Her job is the chief executive. She's the chief executor of Iowa's laws, right? Yeah. Putting in her in a box in terms of what she would have to put on the record to either side with you or against you. Is that really the concern? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just trying to maybe foresee. Because from your point of view, you're like, first of all, I'm actually upholding the premise of your legislation. Secondly, you guys put the severability clause in the statute. Otherwise, we couldn't even be having this conversation. So that's your position, right? I'm yeah. Taking advantage yeah. Of- I think the concern, um, why I said take one for the team, why I use that is, is I think that 
we don't want we don't want it to seem like we are not not recognizing that that this was a a bold move in mm-hmm. in some ways that they that they did try to make some progress. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is that the <laughs> the exception clause was they should recognize it as something that is is very painful and unacceptable. And they there was more that they could do. They like Rebecca said, they did not bring us in, you know, to testify to lobby. And when we were able to to testify before the legislator legislatures, the um, yeah, that that was you know we we made a difference. And right. there were obviously people who were affected. And then they stopped there. Yep. And to say, well, we didn't have the votes or whatever. Well, we we didn't have the chance to to move further. And it was not. It was you know. They felt it was politically necessary, and we'll never really know. But I don't think people would be shocked. Why would people be shocked at what we're doing? It's like because people were I, shocked I that we were would, upset. I would think people <laughs> would think that, like, well, that's intuitive. Well, of course, like, but it's the okay, same. You know, you also, I mean, why were people upset that we were upset? People were amazed and offended. I mean, yeah. that doesn't seem like it would make sense either. Like, of course, yeah. we would take it personally. What's the best way for our audience to follow the story as it tracks along? Save the ones Facebook page. We we post stuff every day. Um, save the one it's the word one not the number one Mm -hmm. save the one comes from two places the unfortunate slogan in the pro-life movement of saving the 99 in exchange for the one Um, because we're supposedly 1% of all abortions rape is 1% and supposedly fetal abnormalities 1% you know one of our friends our board member says what percentage do we have to be before we matter you know (laughs) Asians are 1% of the population Muslims are 1% of the population like are you going to throw them under the bus Mm because they're only 1% Mm -hmm. and it's 1% to other people but to us it's 100% yeah it depends on if you're that 1% or not yeah I love when she says that to us they're everything our child's everything um and then, you know, I always think with the peril of the, of the lost sheep, the 99 and the mm-hmm. one. And Jesus said, see that you do not despise any of these little ones. And he talks about how the good shepherd leaves the 99 to save the one. And he explains, for in the same way, our Father in heaven is not willing that any, any of these little perish. ones should perish and neither should we. And um, we're fighting back. I mean, I'm thrilled. This is why I went to law school. You know, and if I can't defend my own right to life, like, what's the point? What's the point of even being alive? You're just going to be selfish? Like, well, at least I'm here. Okay, well, too bad for the rest. Really? I mean, that's so selfish, you know? If your mother, for the listeners, if your mother chose life for you, like, how nice for you? That must feel wonderful. But, you know, how could you not care about others who are still at risk, who aren't as fortunate? And we're not trying to attack other pro-lifers. We're not trying to be... You know, antagonistic. We're we're trying to, to we're trying to bring everyone together, and yeah. we're trying we're trying to get people to recognize that it is not necessary. Yeah, and we're so thankful for the coalition, absolutely, the Iowa Coalition for Life, because they did fight hard. Mm-hmm. They really did. Um, you know, and they did bring us in. I don't know what happened at the end with those you know backroom negotiations. They were just as shocked as we were. Um, I think yes. if if they had known who the key people were they would have tried to do something about it but they yeah, were what i can out. tell you is when we did this when we went through this with a straight up life at conception bill in the 2017 session the state senate was the big issue and so that's why you guys were brought in to concentrate on we had the we were told we had the votes in the house the senate the state senate was the big issue the republican senate this mm-hmm. time it was the opposite this time it was the yeah. opposite yeah, with different with different legislation that you would think would actually be easier to sign on to than 
life at conception. I mean, when the, all of us agree as human beings. I mean, when an, when an, when an, when an ES unit shows up at a scene of a serious accident, What's the first thing they determine to see a cause of death or if this is a, if, if, if if someone's alive or not? What's the first thing they check? Pulse. Yeah. Is there, is there a heartbeat? They check a pulse. Well, we thought to ourselves. Everybody agrees on this. We talked about what our response would be. I mean, we could stay quiet and we could cooperate in like our we're people. we're expected to. Yeah. We could fully cooperate in our people group being killed. Right? Yeah. Stay silent. And uh, and then we could come back and you know maybe what get invited to testify on another bill. What other bills are going to be? This is it, right? Mm-hmm. This is the biggie. So and you know, for what? And, and maybe get invited to speak so we could be popular, right? So you, so I you can know, go viral again and be completely and ineffective. To what end? <laughs> yeah, to what end? Mm-hmm. And know? I'm going to have to look at my son one day and tell him that his country doesn't deem him important enough to value his life that children like him that every child is protected and that's important and we fought for that but we recognize that children like him well you know we can we can we can let that slide and we can we can sacrifice him because other children are are being saved and it's like oh they added a rape exception what'd you do what'd you do about it after well, we don't want to rock you, the boat well we have the opportunity to sue right. so why wouldn't we? Of course we would. I mean, come on. If it was your own child, you would do everything. Yep. Our voices need to be heard because it, we're. I'm. I'm speaking for my son who doesn't have a voice yet, and for other children like him. Ladies, thank you very much for joining us today on the podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you for thank having you. us. Thank you. All right. Let's get some closing thoughts on what we just heard. Todd, I'll start with you. What do you think? Well, a couple points. Uh, don't be shocked that in the face of this testimony uh, that people who claim to be uh, in some way, shape, or form uh, part of the pro-life cause or, or, or to have uh, ear or to be sympathetic or have even uh, had uh, tried to build some relationships with these women would turn and uh, do otherwise. Let's remember uh, that in the presence of God, uh, Lucifer said, eh, not so much. Uh, the human condition to uh, to be repelled uh, by the good. Um, it, ultimately, that is the biggest reason uh, we have a, a, a feet of clay. Uh, we, we, we resent it. Uh, we, we double down even harder sometimes. Some of us are converted, thank God. But some, it takes an even deeper dive. Uh, why? It depends on the individual. But I'm not shocked at all that despite this testimony that some people still uh, went and voted uh, to give uh, people like them a, a death sentence, which makes... Uh, their courage of conviction uh, all the more compelling because they did not lose hope uh, in the face of that. They are uh, the John Adams uh, for our time. In uh, 1970, after um, the uh, uh, the Boston Massacre, John Adams, instead of devolving in, into tri- mere tribalism, said, no, I stand on principle. And he defended the very uh, Redcoats, who more broadly he was trying to defeat, the representatives of England, because he needed to stand on principle. This just uh, could not become shirts versus skins. Uh, that the, the nation that we now live in wouldn't have stood a chance. He stood in that day on principle. We tell that story to our children to this very day. And because we, uh, they are willing to dive into this and say to the people that in some way, shape, or form, to varying degrees, are on, air quotes, our side, you could have and should have 
done better and you must? I think if you look at political realities, I I, I think the the argument that they're getting in the way and making the perfect the enemy of the good. I, I I think that argument is completely and totally irrelevant in this case. When you consider our legislature here in Iowa invited them in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think that's an important point for our audience to understand. The, these aren't purists from some uh, from some ivory tower who are coming in at the last second throwing gum in the works and saying, hey, you know, where's, where's our share? And, and even though they have a valid moral point, even if they were, their moral point would still stand. You, there, there is a time and a place where you could make a political case of, well, you're making the perfect enemy the good. Why are we doing this now? Yada, yada, yada. I don't think that there's any standing to make that claim when you consider the holistic aspect of the process here. They were invited here by our legislator, legislatures. They were invited here to testify. Our legislatures brought the women that our audience just heard. Our legislators brought them here to inoculate themselves from Planned Parenthood, to inoculate themselves and defend them and provide a shield for them against the attacks that they're anti-women, they, the, the typical you know, nomenclature of the, of the child-killing industry. To invite them in. To use them as essentially your political ghetto passes, to use them as human shields to for your messaging, and then to take pictures with them, and then to turn right around and and act as if none of once they once they've put themselves out there for you, once they've exposed the most intimate tragic parts of their lives for you, and then you take full advantage of that, and then at the very end act as if none of that ever happened. I kind of think the whole case that, in this particular case, I'm not saying there's never a time to say don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. I'm talking about this particular case right here. To say that these two particular women and the organizations and the movements they represent, after using them to your advantage politically, to then say, okay, you're better seen and not heard. I don't care what the issue is. I think we've all about had it. With politicians using us, particularly in election years, to make their case for them, like whether it's eight years of promises to repeal Obamacare, pick an issue. Pick an issue. No amnesty, and now they're talking about amnesty. Pick an issue. I think we've all about had it with being told they get to use us and our angst and our grievances and our, and our passions and convictions to their advantage. And then when the time comes to govern upon those things, once they have reached office and obtained office based on what we bring to the table, and then when the time comes at a, at a legislative legal level to reward what we pre-invested preemptively in their election cause, and they're not there at the end, I think we've all about had it with that, regardless of what the issue or the timing of the issue is. Yeah, to put a a face on the level of portrayal you're talking about. Remember in the movie uh, uh, Braveheart or uh, 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 William Wallace and uh, Robert the Bruce, they're, you know, they're kind of vibing, they're getting together, and then they go to war, and uh, William Wallace knocks down a knight and pulls off his mask, and it's Robert the Bruce, and, and he, <laughs> right. was, he was on the other side the whole time. Yeah. That's what we're talking Okay, okay, now you need to die. Aaron, we're not playing no. that game anymore. Your final thought. Yeah, uh, this is... Uh, 
as Christians, we believe that the word of, of God is written on our, or the law of the Lord is written on uh, every human being's heart. Um, but I think what, what we're seeing here, just in case, just in case, what we're seeing here is a lot of people now being without excuse. What we're seeing is some Republicans and a lot of Democrats, but some Republicans from stinking Kellerton, Iowa, who think they're Commodus, smiling and taking pictures and essentially patting the women that you just heard on the head and saying, thank you very much for your service. Now go away. They are now without excuse. Those who supported and put in the language that this bill, the suspect language, in a cosmic sense, they are without excuse. They will be judged for that someday when they meet their maker if they do not repent. And I would say publicly repent because they are in the public eye for putting that stuff in that bill. I'm, you're absolutely right. I'm sick and tired of just these. I, again, this is Iowa we're talking about, guys. These, these state senators and representatives, a lot of them, some of them are great people. A lot of them, no matter what side of the aisle they're sitting on, think that they're some sort of commodus, think that they are somebody coming in here from Podunk, Iowa, and using people for what they think will be their own gain. You're absolutely right. That's, we're just, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'll just speak for myself. I'm sick of it. So I'm glad these women are doing what they're doing. We can let us know what you think about what we think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. Don't forget to click subscribe there on iTunes and Stitcher if you haven't done so already. If you've got a few extra minutes, leave us a positive review. If you don't like us, don't lie. Maybe just keep quiet. But if you do like us, leave us a positive review. That helps us to get the word out about the podcast. Many of you have done that already. Thank you very much. Until tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. I like you.